We've been going through this month um, a series of messages that tie into the series of uh, services we've been having. Every Friday in the month of October, we've been gathering um, for a service, a prayer service from 7 to 10 in this room to pray, have extended prayer and worship to, and with a prayer to encounter God as, a, as people, as individuals, as a church. God would encounter our nation to pray for revival, these sorts of things. This upcoming week, um, weather permitting, we're going to do it in the barn on the other side of the property. We'll have more information about that as it comes along. If it's too hot or if it's too, and I know that what, it, it can be crazy hot. So we'll probably do it in the barn. But if it's raining, we're not going to do it in the barn. But um, then the next two weeks, we'll be back in this room. So this week, we'll be in an alternate location, probably the barn. But come if you can. What it is is 7 to 10, we spend in prayer, worship. Sometimes people share words. We had uh, Pastor Robert Brown here on Friday. He shared a word of encouragement um, about breaking through barriers, which I think was prophetic to us, and it was powerful. And so um, we may end up, we have not been streaming these. They've been kind of an intimate thing. We may stream the last two. We'll see as we get closer to the election. We may have some specific praying regarding that, and we may want everybody to be able to be a part of it, even if they can't come. But try to make an effort to come if you can. And it's not like you have to come the whole time. We know 7 to 10 is a long time. And so if you have kids and you want to come for just a chunk of it, you know, all of that is good. You know, my wife and kids don't can't stay the whole time because <laughs> last time our kids fell asleep. So it's okay, you know. I get it, you know, but come if you can. It's important. I think the Lord is doing something special, but tying into that, we are also talking Sunday mornings uh, this month about encounters with God that people have, and, and obviously the Bible is full of people encountering God, and I just felt led to talk about a couple of them, um, and this week we're going to be talking about a story that's, that's pretty... Um, it's just ubiquitous. I mean, I don't even think you have to be a a Christian or a, a Jewish person to know the story. It's just in the air. And it's the story of Moses and his calling in the burning bush. And the parts that I, I want to focus on, what I'm going to do is I'll give you just kind of a big paraphrase of the beginning of the story. Then we'll talk about what we're going to talk about. And then I'll kind of allude to the rest of it. And you can look it up, you know, because this is, again, it's a story probably most of us are at least sort of familiar with. And, you know, it's referenced in culture for generations, thousands of years, and it's just, it's just out there. So um, seeing something new in it might be difficult, but this doesn't have to be new. I just think this is something that God has for us right now. And so I, I wanted to ask, start by asking two questions that are sort of related. Like, how many of you, and you can raise your hand, really want to do great things for God? Like, if God has something out there for you to do, you, like, want to do that, you want to go as deep as you can go into this God thing, and whatever, you know, this is good, because I think this message is for you. Now, the other question I have is, how many of you are like, I'm just trying to make it, like, you know, what you just said didn't sound bad to me, but I'm just trying to, like, survive, you know, or, you know, whatever. Some of us are honest about that, too. But if you're in that second category, or a mix of both, is probably well, this is good, because I think this message will apply. So let me give you the backstory. So the, the Hebrew people are now in their first, they've, they've moved to Egypt as a people through the story of Joseph, which you can look up in Genesis, and they've been in Egypt now for several generations, several hundred years, and Joseph was a very important Hebrew person who became very important in the Egyptian culture. 
He was like second to Pharaoh. He's running the place. He's doing all the great things. But then over a couple hundred years, they forget that. And the Hebrew people get to be numerous. They become enslaved by the Egyptians. And the Pharaoh at this time is worried. He's like, gosh, if there get to be too many of these people, they'll just revolt and take us over. So he starts to try to kill off the babies, which is, this is very bad stuff. So if it's, he said, he makes these decrees that like, if it's a boy, kill him. And he says, throw him into the Nile River. If it's a girl, you can let her live. But if it's a boy, we got to, you know, we got to cut these numbers down. So this is terrible. So Moses' mom has Moses as a baby and thinks, I'm not going to do that. So he hide, she hides him. And then eventually she's like, she trusts God and she builds sort of like a little boat. She takes a basket, puts, you know, tar on it or, you know, and then she puts him in it. So she puts him in the Nile, kind of as the decree says, but she sends him floating and just prays that God will take care of things. And he does. Interestingly enough, Pharaoh's daughter is bathing in the, the river, and she hears some crying. They go over, and they find the basket. And they're like, oh, my gosh, this is one of those Hebrew babies. And so she decides, well, it'll be my son. And then the story continues where they find a woman to take care of the baby, which happens to be Moses' mom. So this thing is starting to work out. But she's now, you know, he's now in the royal family in Egypt. And so he's raised this way. Like once he's weaned, she brings him back. You know, he grows up kind of as, you know, one of Pharaoh's descendants. But it talks about, so he kind of, <clears throat> his people are enslaved, but he's been raised the whole time of his awareness as an Egyptian. And he knows who he is, but he's, it's, it's difficult. And so he goes out one day, <clears throat> and he sees um, his enslaved people and he doesn't like this. And then he sees an Egyptian man beating a Hebrew person. And he can't, he's like, that is not right. And so he looks around and nobody's there. So he kills the guy. He's like, I'll take care of this. And he's, he doesn't like the injustice. And so he kills the guy who's beating the guy. And he hides the body in the sand. And he's like, okay, I dealt with that. But then the next day, he sees some guys fighting, two Hebrew people. He's like, guys, what are you doing? Like, stop this. And they're like, oh, what are you going to do? Kill us like you killed the other guy? And he goes, uh-oh. I thought, I, hit, I thought I'd hid that. And so word gets to, he now, now he knows the word's out, that he killed a guy. And Pharaoh finds out, Pharaoh wants to kill him for killing the guy, and he needs to get out of town. So he leaves, and he hides. He runs away to get away from that situation. And then he finds himself um, at a well and in a distant place, and... These women are there trying to get water for their father's flock. And some shepherds who are jerks come up and beat them off to, like, you know, get out of here. And they, he scare them away. And so Moses, again, he's like, I don't like this kind of, this stuff, this tough guy stuff where you're just going to be, you know, mean to people. So he beats these guys off, gets the water for the girls, and, like, takes care of the situation. So they show up early. Like, normally this task takes a certain amount of time. They show up early, and Ned's like, what's up? Like, why are you guys already here, you know? And they go, well, this guy helped us. And he goes, and you just left him there? Like, you should bring him home, you know? And so they go, they go back and get him, and he kind of becomes part of their family. He ends up marrying one of the girls. And then he spends 40 years or so as a shepherd in this land, okay? So he's like an old guy now. And so he's run away from this whole situation of, you know, first off, he's saved. He isn't killed like the rest of the babies. Then he goes through this incredibly strange upbringing almost of, you know, being in Pharaoh's family. Then he has his reaction, his just natural reaction against injustice causes him to, you know, he kills a guy, he has to run away. So now he's been spending 40 years 
doing kind of nothing in that sort of situation. He's been a shepherd, which is not nothing, but it's, you know, he's, he's out of maybe the game, if you will. You see, he's trying to, he's like, I'm just trying to get by. You hint like my question at the beginning. Like, he's not looking for anything to happen. He's just shepherding like he does now. Maybe he's even happy. Maybe he doesn't even want to change anything. He might be like, I've got a good wife. I've got a good living. This is great. Everything is fine. But one day, <laughs> he goes out and sees a bush or a tree that's on fire, but it's not getting burned up. And that causes him to go, I don't know what that is, but I should probably go check that out. So he's in a pretty arid place. It's like a desert. There are not a whole lot of trees anyway. So when you, seeing one on fire is probably not uncommon because, I mean, you know how, I mean, we've seen wildfires in the photos from California and stuff like that. Drier places really struggle with wildfires and stuff like that. And they're actually part of how the area stays healthy. It burns off certain things and then it gives a chance for new life to come through. But to see a bush that's on fire and not being consumed gets his attention. But still, if you read from the beginning of the Bible to this point, God hasn't been firebush God yet. So if I said to you, is this, is this like first thoughts, burning bush, that's probably God doing that. You see? That's not, I don't think, what he's thinking. We think that because we know the story so much. Like I said, it's ubiquitous. You're like, oh, yeah, burning bush got you or whatever. You know, we even say burning bush moment as like a statement. But when you first encounter something like this, I don't think often many of us is like our first reaction is that's probably God doing that. You know, because let's keep in mind, he's not looking for God, okay? He's just out minding his own business. He's also, um, this might not be, you would say, a way that you would expect God to show up. It's not like a normal way, if you follow that. It might be a new way that God is showing up. And so it's not when you would expect to see God. It's not how you would expect to see God. But nevertheless, as he approaches to see what's going on, the voice comes, and it's the voice of God that says, whoa, listen, this is serious. You need to take your shoes off because you're, you're walking on holy ground. So now he knows, okay, today's different than other days. But then this exchange happens between him and God. But we want to look at this exchange You've got to, to think about this moment and, and really to get the context. I'm trying to establish this, that he's not looking for God and God shows up, okay? He's not looking for God and God decides it's time. When God shows up, he doesn't show up in a way that maybe he's even ever shown up before. I don't know. You know, I mean, there's probably a lot of things you could study about why God chose to show up in a burning bush at this moment. I don't have any of that right now. But I believe that oftentimes in our lives, God shows up whenever he wants to show up. And it's not always when we're looking for him. Or at least show of hands when God's shown up in your life when it wasn't a time you were looking for him. You know what I mean? And the way he shows up is often confounding. But if we're aware, we can be sensitive to it's time to take our shoes off because we're standing on holy ground. So he moves into this exchange where God basically lays out for him what he wants him to do. Moses, you're the guy that I want to set my people free. 
from the Egyptian tyranny that they're living under. And I know you want to do this, I, you know. And this is time now. I want to use you for this purpose. This is a big deal. So <laughs> I think people tend to fit into one of two categories. Numbers, let me see where it says. Numbers uh, 12.3 refers to Moses as, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. So Moses is, there's, there's, there's kind of like people who tend to think they're all that. And then people who tend to think that they're not that. I don't know, is that the answer? You know what I'm trying to say. And so what we're going to look at is Moses, is, it's like, so God lays this job out for him. I want you to set these people free. You're the guy I'm going to use to do that. And Moses is like, uh, whoa, this is a big deal. And so they have an exchange. And we're going to look at this exchange. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read to you what Moses says verbatim. And then I'm going to paraphrase what God says back. Not because what God says is less important. It's obviously more important. But what I want us to hear and to see and to feel is when God lays something before us, whether or not we're looking for it and whether or not we think it's time, whether or not we think it's something important, whether or not we think any of that, if God lays something before us that he thinks is important, that he thinks is time, that he thinks it's you're the person to do, I think very often we have at least some of or many of these responses to God. Now... If you want to be this way about it, like you can sometimes seem like, I probably wouldn't say that to God if he was talking to me in a burning bush. But that's just not fair. Because <laughs> when God talks to you in your burning bush, I, it, we probably often do this kind of thing. So God lays out this whole situation. You're the guy. You are the guy. And Moses says back this. Okay, but suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? Then God gets into this long exchange of I am. He's announcing who he is. He's making incredibly deep theological points about himself and his immensity and his power. And he's like, tell them I am who I am sent you. Like the, the God God sent you, you know. And Moses goes, so now Moses knows exactly who he's talking to. <laughs> just in case there was any doubt. He says this back. Okay, but what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then God starts to give him, it's like, fine, okay. What do you have in your hand? He's like, well, I got a stick. And he's like, throw it on the ground. He throws it on the ground, it turns into a snake. And he's like, pick the snake back up. He picks the snake back up and it goes back into a stick. He's like, this is going to be a sign, which they use later. We're not going to get into all of that story, but they use this later. He also says, take your hand, stick your hand in your jacket, take it out. And he does this miraculous thing where he pulls it out and it's like all diseased and leprous. He puts it back in and he takes it out and it's fine again. And then he also tells him, he's like, also, if they don't listen to any of that stuff, you know, take water and pour it, you know, and then it'll turn into blood. And then all of these things come into play later when they actually go and do all this stuff. There's all these plagues and all of these miracles that God does. And it's all to convince the Pharaoh and all At, right now, you don't, we don't know all that yet. So he's saying to God, what about this? And the God's like turning sticks into snakes and things and making his hand diseased and then fine again. And, you know, some of us, that would get our attention, you know. Then he says back, response number three. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. So like now he's like, now I know who I'm talking about. Now I know how powerful he is. <laughs> 
So pardon me, <laughs> you know. But I've never been eloquent. Neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. So that's just kind of a passive aggressive like, yeah, but I don't talk good, you know. So God goes into this whole thing of like, who even made your mouth? Like, don't you think I know this? You know, and he's like, I think I can do like I can speak through you, you know. And then Moses says again. This is my favorite one. Response number four, where he says no. But Moses said, this is Exodus 4.13, if you want to read it. Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. <laughs> That's my favorite one. It's like, I don't even have any reason anymore. I just... <laughs> and I'm wondering... I'm wondering, and this is, this is just me wondering. I'm wondering how often, you know, because he's been sitting there for 40 years. He killed a guy for doing something wrong. This is not a man who's not like, you know, he's not all talk, you know. I mean, he even says he's not good at talking, but he's not all talk. I mean, the guy's like ready to act on what he believes in. He certainly doesn't like people being mistreated. We have at least two examples of him getting physical about people being mistreated. So he's certainly, he's not all talk. And he's certainly not into people being mistreated. So God's got, you know, I mean, you can even see that God's got the right guy, like, in spirit, you know. But you got to think, for 40 years, he's been kind of hiding and kind of, uh, um, kind of, like, uh, hiding and thinking. You know, you look at somebody like David, who is also a shepherd, and, and, he spends all this time worshiping the Lord and thinking. You know, like sh- shepherding is an important job; it's a valuable job. It's it's used in the Bible as an image a lot, but there's also a lot of reflective time. You know, there's a certain amount of letting things happen. There's a rhythm to it that's not the same as our crazy hectic, you know, days are maybe. And so this guy's had forty years or so of every day being able to think about why he's there, what's going on with his people, how he got spared when other people didn't, and all of these sorts of things. Don't you think that he might have thought, this situation, my people, this is not good. This is not good, and it's something that has to stop, and somebody should do something about it. Don't you think he's probably thought that? I think he probably has. He's probably also thought, Something like, maybe. I mean, these are all kind of, this is me just thinking of things. And we can use somebody like Moses in this story to see ourselves and how we interact with God and God's calling in our life. Because we all have this. Like, every single one of us was made by God. God calls himself a potter. He's making us for purposes, you know, and things like that. No one's an accident. And it's not just all that he's made us to be used, but he has things for us to do. And so he's probably thought, gosh, I wish I could do something about that at least once in those 40 years. He's also probably thought, man, I would have done something about that if I hadn't messed this whole thing up. Like maybe in another life or something like that, if I just made a different choice, then I could have been a guy who did something about it. Like I knew who the Pharaoh was. I, maybe I could have convinced him to, you know, da 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 or whatever. I don't know. You know, I'm sure he's had a long time to think about all this stuff. So in one sense, I think that when God shows up and is telling him all this, he's like, 
this is exactly <laughs> what I want to see happen. <laughs> exactly. But could you please send somebody else to do it? <laughs> and that's the part I think we really need to all hold on to right there. It's like, this is exactly the right thing. This is, oh my gosh, this is so good. So good. Exactly. Can you send somebody else to do it? I want to read this. Exodus 2, 23 to 25. It says, during that long period, the period while he was a shepherd, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out in their cry for help. What? Oh, yeah, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. This is what comes right before this whole story. This whole, this, so God is, you know, I'm thinking that Moses is stirred by the same thing. So after this last, this last uh, exchange, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. It says that God gets a little ticked. He's like, okay. But he's still gracious. And he says, what about your brother Aaron? He's coming anyway. You guys can do this together. I'll speak to you. You speak through, you know, it's going to be like a team thing. And it turns out to be what happens. So we can jump a little bit ahead. They end up going to Egypt and doing these things that God tells them to do. And it doesn't go so well. You should go read this story. Um, if you want to say go so well, meaning God gets his way, of course it goes. Well, God, see, the thing about God is God gets his way. Do you see what I'm saying? But as far as like what we evaluate and like the lists that we keep of like going well, you know, are people happy with me when I do these things? Do I get, you know, money when I do these things? Do, does me doing things for God make people like me more or less? Or these sorts of things that, you know, or when God says to do something or when God does something, does that thing make our material lives better or worse? And you can see in this exchange of what happens with plagues, that it's complicated because the first thing he does causes their material lives to be a lot worse. So it's like out the gate. Here we're here to set everyone. We're going to set everyone free. God's going to do this thing. And the Pharaoh's like, no. And uh, y'all are just whining and stuff. So, you know, you, you had to make bricks. We used to give you straw to make those bricks. No, we're not going to do that anymore. Y'all are just lazy. That's all it is. So, now you have to get your own straw and everything and make the same number of bricks that you had to make before, which is they're sitting over here going, wait a minute, that's not possible. And, and so it doesn't, you see what I'm saying? And so immediately all the people they came and met with, like, hey, guys, this slave thing is going to end and God's going to do it. God, mind you, talk to me, burning bush, powerful thing, convinced me it's a good idea. We are here to do it. And God has said that this is going to work. And I go, okay, we like what you're saying. We, we, we hear that. Let's take that to the, you know, and, the, and then the Pharaoh goes, or the world or whatever. No. And worse life. And people's first, li first reaction is, you must be crazy. Because it's certainly not, God wouldn't do this, you know. And then it keeps going, kind of like that. 
for lots of plagues. And you might think that when God starts doing things like, I don't know, turning all the water to blood, that that would freak people out. And it kind of doesn't. And then other bad things happen that only God could do. And they get more increasingly revealing of the fact that God himself, only God is doing them. And that nobody but God can stop them. And God gets increasingly and increasingly specific. And increasing, and he starts to, like, some of the plagues affect everybody. Just every single body. And then some of them go, this is only going to affect Egyptian people. Man, not the Hebrew people. Just to make the point to the Pharaoh that this is God doing it. The same God that, that, that I am God that the Hebrew people are talking about. That's the God that's doing it. Don't get confused. So I'm not going to even have this one affect them. It's just going to affect these people, your people. And still this doesn't wake him up all the way till the end of this exchange with Pharaoh where the last plague, which is where we get Passover from, which is incredibly important as Jesus himself dies on Passover, aligning himself with this, that God says, fine, on this night the firstborn child of every family and by family, I also mean animal, I mean everything, will die. Unless, and then he gives this instruction of taking a lamb and taking the blood from that lamb and putting it on the door. He's like, if I see that blood, it won't happen. You will be passed over the judgment. Okay? They don't listen, and it happens. All the Hebrew people listen. They're passed over, all the Egyptian people. See, it's kind of interesting because it tells, you can read some, you should go read this. Like, they start talking about, like, Moses goes, in one of the plagues, okay, you're not listening. So, you know, tomorrow there's going to be this hailstorm unlike anything you've ever seen. And any crop or any animal that's not inside is going to die. And then the Pharaoh's like, yeah, right, whatever. But some of his people are like, go get everybody inside. Not all of them do that. Some of them are like, yeah, Pharaoh, we're tough. And they lose everything. But the other guys are like, I think this Moses guy knows what he's talking about. Bring everybody inside. So it starts convincing some of the people. But it really takes the death of the firstborn in every family to really get their attention. And they finally let the people go. And then the story continues on. And you really need to go read it. Because the, the point is, this is just the beginning of a story of God taking people out of bondage and into um, the freedom in the land that he has. And it takes, again, a while. And it's complicated. And it's not always good. Because when we follow God, it's also complicated, not always good. And the amount of junk, I'll use this word, that Moses has to put up with is a lot. Which is the same as when we start following God in our lives, the amount of junk we have to put up with is also going to be a lot. But we should take encouragement from that. That Jesus isn't spared the junk. Moses isn't spared the junk. Mo Jesus promises the junk. He says, the world hated me. They're going to hate you. It's not a big deal. We can still love them. You see what I'm saying? He's not saying, therefore, be mad at everyone all the time. He's not saying that. He's just saying, it doesn't matter. Like, don't worry about this. The same. Like, look, we win. You see? If you, there's a weird little window into all of this. In Exodus 6, now I was reading this, okay? So you're, we're in the middle of this story. Moses is ready. He's going, back to, he's going back to Egypt. That first thing about the straw bit happens, okay? The bricks, 
And then the next chapter starts, and it's like, and here are the people of Israel. And they start listing off people again. And now it's, it was very important back in this time to have these genealogies because they kept track of things that way, like we even do as a, you know, you know, we keep up with this stuff even now. But back then it was really important and to have a record of things. And, and it was also memorized. Like people would go, okay, this guy, you know, had these sons and this guy had these sons. And then you could keep track of where you were and what was going on. And all of this was important both spiritually and for your heritage and all these other things. And so, but why is it just in the middle of the story, we're like, no, let's drop that in there just so we, and it seems a little out of place because I'm like listening, I was actually, I read through this and I read through this and then I was listening to it and it really jumped out to me, I'm listening to it, okay? All of a sudden, it's like, why is that there, you know? Because as you're listening to the story, like, oh, okay, cool, what's going to happen next? And then it's like, now let me list off these people. So I looked into this because it's, at the end, it really, there's this one verse that really jumped out to me, and it's this. Well, it's two verses, Exodus 6, 26 through 27, and it says this. This was the very Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their hosts. They were the very ones who spoke to the Pharaoh king of Egypt to bring the Israelites from Egypt. That was the same, Aaron, the same Moses and Aaron. I'm going to read that again because it's, it's strange. This was the very Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their hosts. They were the very ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the Israelites from Egypt. That was this same Moses and Aaron. And you're like, what? Okay. Like, I get it the first time. You know, and maybe you're thinking, I'm already reading a book about Moses. Like, when you say Moses, I go, yeah, okay, I get it. That's the guy. Then they go, just to make sure you know, that's the same guy. Just to make sure you know, this is the same two guys that I'm talking about. And just to make sure, sure, sure you know, that's the one I'm talking about right now. And you're like, okay, why do you care so much, right? So some people have thought maybe they stuck this, maybe, maybe all of these people are included because it starts with like other families. See, Moses and Aaron are descendants for like, there's 12 tribes of Israel, so there's like 12 brothers. Joseph is one of them. We talked about him already, but there's all these older brothers. And the 12 tribes are there, and one of them is Levi. That's the one that we're in, okay? Moses and Aaron. But to get there, you've got to go through a couple other people first. And you're like, who are, like, you know, what does this all matter? Some people thought, well, when they were putting these books together, um, Genesis kind of ends with some genealogy stuff, so maybe it was too, like, abrupt to go, and look, more genealogy stuff for the beginning of the next book, you know. So we'll put a little space between there. That might be the editorial thought. I didn't make these up. I read, like, this is what people think. Um, one is people say, well, you were memorizing this stuff, so sometimes if you memorize something, it's hard to jump to, like, you know, you've got to kind of start from the beginning and work your way there. All right, that's Moses. You know what I'm saying? But, again, there are people who are like, well, if you're going to write it down, though, you could kind of, like, you know, cut that part out. But it's all still there. And so this is the interpretation that I agree with is that, it's there at this moment in this book to illustrate and reinforce. And then this last two verses here really, really reinforces these guys aren't anybody. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're not from the right families. They're not descendants of Joseph at this time. You see what I'm saying? They're from the bad brothers. If you know the story of Joseph, these are the guys that, like, threw him in the well and all the bad stuff. 
So we got bad brother, another bad brother. Then, like, we got, okay, there's another bad brother that these guys are descended from. You see what I'm saying? So it doesn't, at this moment, it, it's, it's not illustrating, wow, this is really special. You know, like, later on, you hear Levites and about this whole thing that God has, like, assigned these people as priests and all these kind of things. Like, it's not, we're not there yet. We're still in the, like, you're one of the bad guys or something like this, you know. We're going to remind you right now who these people are. Also, you got this whole covenant with these people of Israel that God has made very clear. He's like, I didn't pick you because you're, like, big and, like, strong. And so now you've got people that God's picked, made covenant with, enslaved with another people, and then he's picking kind of a nobody to do this incredibly important thing. That should speak to some of us here. Maybe this. Incredibly, he's picked this kind of a nobody to do this incredibly important thing who's also really old. Because it makes a very clear point also. He's like, Moses was like 80 when this happened. God seems to have a habit of doing that. You know, hey, old guy, I want you to do this thing. Like, have a kid. You're like, but my wife's old. And he's like, why do you think that's a big deal for me? This seems to be a running theme. I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little, you know, but you get the idea. So here's the thing, guys. If you think you are small, the Bible is full of God. Like, it's almost a story about God using small things to do big things with. But let this also remind you, if you think that you're all that, you should read this and realize that God's making a point. Nah. You're nobody. The beauty is, we're all nobodies, and God uses nobodies to do the biggest things. You see? Nobody's anybody. We're all nobodies. And God made us all, which makes us somebody, and God can use us to do anything because He's God. And only He decides. Kayla, you come on up and we're going to sing a song. I'm going to close by reading this in 1 Corinthians. See, like Moses is so um, important to the Old Testament in, like, in every way you measure value as a chronicler, as a leader, as a symbol to the point that which when Jesus has one of his grandest exp- uh, kind of experiential moments to show people who he is, on they call it the Mount of Transfiguration. He's standing there, and he's talking to Moses and Elisha. This same guy talking to Jesus. I'm pretty sure the day before this burning bush thing happened, if you had said, hey, you think in X hundred years you'll be standing with God? The days before he accomplishes his mission on this earth to, to, to fix the broken things, I'm sure he would have had no idea what you were talking about. And so many of us sit there on that day or maybe even see the burning bush and don't take the time to go investigate. So when we're singing songs like we were before,
about God opening our eyes. That's what I'm thinking about. Because there are burning burst moments in our lives that we can be we can't we can be like non-sensitive to and just pass on by. Just another brush fire, no big deal. I'm going to read you this to close. This is 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Some of you might have been. Not many of you were influential, though some of you might have been. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen.